Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that still believes that Team China can win the World Baseball Classic. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. An 8-1 to one loss for China earlier today. I, I got to be honest, man. I do believe more that China can win the World Baseball Classic than I did the last time we recorded, as this final score does not fully encapsulate the unbelievable effort of Team China against Samurai Japan. That is one of the many WBC-related things we're going to get into in the first half of this show. Uh, We've been up since 5 a.m. because we wanted to watch Shohei Otani uh, pitch against Team China. We also uh, followed that up with an amazing game between Italy and Cuba. So on this episode of Baseball Barbercast, we are going to talk some more WBC early reactions, both the real games that have started as well as the exhibitions that we had yesterday, which are super goofy. Um, And then we'll hit some actual uh, MLB news in the second half as well as overreact to to, to <clears throat> excuse me to some spring training superstars. Um, but Jake, we should begin on the other side of the world um, with what we have seen so far in Pool A and Pool B of the WBC. Uh, where would you like to start? Let's just quickly get Yoannis Cespedes out of the way because he has both been the most notable thing And the least notable thing to happen so far over on the other side of the world. Like you said, Yoannis, I don't believe, has a hit yet. He does have a handful of walks because, you know, he's always had a phenomenal batting eye. But above all else, it has just been really nice to see Yoannis playing baseball games. And he doesn't look as washed as I feared. It's like the 50th percentile of washedness. Yeah, uh, at least in the batter's box. Um, obviously, he's had a bit of some struggles. In the outfield, it's a tough play. I wouldn't say it was an error by any stretch. Um, but, you know, he's, he's definitely not moving quite as well as he used to. But he is uh, 37. Who is? Who he's, is moving He's as well 37, so it's okay. And like you said, like, what is so comforting is that it's him. Like, he's wearing the same 52 chain. He's got the yellow sleeve. He's making the same. Like, everything about it, he's throwing the ball in underhanded. Like, all of those visuals have been immensely comforting. And for that, I am thankful. But no, he has certainly not been the biggest story of this WBC so far. Um, the big, I mean, there's there's a lot we could get to. I think we maybe should start with the biggest upset, which is Australia taking down Korea. 
um, late uh, last night, I, I suppose. I wore my Team Australia hat uh, before when we when we previewed the WBC earlier this week, and now is to show solidarity with our Australian producer Chris Tyler, who, uh, funny enough, is, is actually not available to produce here today, <laughs> so he cannot be flexing uh, he, on on everyone after we gave his country no chance. He's hungover, Jordan. You know, <laughs> yeah, producer Chris surely. was up all night, oh, yeah. boozing on Fosters. Mm-hmm. Thank you know on the back of Australia's shocking eight to seven W over Korea. Let's first talk about why we were so low in Australia, and then let's talk about why we were immediately wrong. I think when you take a look at the players on Australia and the players in Korea, there's no doubt that the Korean league, the KBO, is light years better than the Australian league, the ABL. That's There's no doubt there, right? Ask any scout in the world and they'll tell you as much. But I think what we underestimated is that Australia has adults. These are, this is not like Team China or No Shade, the Czech Republic. Us grouping that team together with them was not fair of us because these Australian players have been playing in the professional league down there for a long time. There are, a lot of them are in their 30s. A lot of them have been playing together for a while. And even more importantly, they just finished a season. They have a winter season there. And so compared to a lot of the other players, they've seen live pitching recently. And that definitely made a difference in their first game. Yeah, and, and Korea's pitching is simply not that strong, and, and that would be my concern with them coming into the tournament, even though they do have so much talent on the offensive side. And yeah, like, but you know, guys like like Robbie Glendinning, like guys like Rickson Wingrove, who we mentioned, Aaron Whitefield, like these are guys that have been performing in the upper minors, even if not, you know, in the, the ABL recently. So I still am skeptical of Australia's arms, and that was borne out um over the course of the game. I mean, they used one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They used nine pitchers to get through this game, which is which is great. I mean, that's how some of these weaker teams are going to try and get through this tournament. So I'm a little skeptical in the long term, but like I shouldn't have been shocked. This would be the upset I yeah. would have picked, and and it's great. And then now uh, I'm I'm I, it's it's great because all it takes in pool play all it takes is one game like this, and it's like holy shit, they could get out of the pool. Right. All they need to do now to get out of the pool is beat the Czech Republic and China, yeah. which like should be definitely doable. For the Aussies, do you want to briefly talk about the notable play from this game uh, in which friend of the show, uh, Beko Gung, hit a huge double and was off the base, uh, yes. basically went off the base during a celebration and was tagged out? Yes. How do you feel about this play? I mean, obviously, I was I was super bummed to see it. It was it was a pinch hit double late. And I mean, we, we had another sort of similar play in the Cuba-Italy game. Um, this is something that, you know, you see it. All the time where a guy hits a double and in, in Major League Baseball and but in MLB, they all know, like call time literally immediately. Right. And it looks goofy, but there's a reason for that. And in this case, it does not appear, unlike in the Cuba Italy game where they he did call time and he was granted time, whatever. And one up saw it, one up didn't. This one, he now it's not like he wandered off the base, but it was enough of a you know, wandering off that, that that when you see the tag being held on the the runner, because you do see that in MLB all the time, where the fielder will hold the ball on the guy's leg for as long as possible until they call time, just in case they step off. In this case, he stepped off. I believe there was a single afterwards that maybe would have uh, tied it or taken the lead. Um, and instead, he's erased, and that is just extremely embarrassing. And honestly, super bums me out because he already wasn't in the lineup against the lefty. And you know, Beko is one of my favorite players, and. 
I don't know if this is the kind of situation where he's now benched for the whole tournament or he hit a double and they needed the double and maybe he'll be in the lineup tomorrow. I don't know. But it against Japan, right? So now it's for Korea. It's it's do or die now. I mean, I, I guess they could win um, those you know other games against China and, and Czech Republic, but they're going to have to have to show up uh, tomorrow against Japan, and I'm not feeling great about it. <laughs> Let's dive into the Japan-China game now. Um, within the context of, like, watching the WBC, right, of the staying up late and waking up early, setting an alarm on my phone for 4.58 a.m. to crawl onto my couch and turn on Fox Sports 1, and then an hour later turn on Tubi, it is a very foreign, literally, experience. And then for the thing on my television to be Shohei Otani in the Tokyo Dome facing China was really just didn't feel real. It really just didn't feel like a thing I was actually watching. The first inning where he, I mean, <laughs> it was silent. It was literally silent, them watching him pitch. It, which I I don't really even know what to make. I mean, it makes sense that you're normally making more noise when your team is batting. That that I you know I, I get that, but this was so unique and so just. Let alone the fact that we were watching it at five a.m. I totally agree with you. Surreal is the perfect word for it. I couldn't. It just all felt like this weird dream. And the fact that you know no pitch clock. Otani was at his his normal Otani pace. And he was only throwing two pitches. He didn't even bother throwing a splitter or the slow curve or any of these other things. Or the sinker. Remember, he just like invented a sinker in the middle of last season. No, it was fastball slider, fastball slider the whole time. And generally, they had no chance, especially against the slider. But it was like, it was an event. It was an, it was an absolute event. And you can only imagine what it was like to be in that stadium. It felt like golf. <laughs> like it was like literally like Tiger Woods on the first tee. Or, you know, during a big postseason football game, which is, I think, what they call that in the NFL, where, you know, like the quarterback of the home team is like quieting down the crowd. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, shh, let me do my offense thing at work. But it was like too quiet. It was like it was almost creepy. But again, like this is this is just the level of respect and focus. Uh, it, it was it was unbelievable. Of course, then he has uh, hits a double on, uh, later on, you know, 110 had another uh, 100 mile an hour single. And that was the other best thing. Like, duh, whatever. We've been watching Otani for years now. <laughs> but it's just, it's this is why he's the best. Because it's like, oh, man, I'm only going to get to watch him for a few innings. You know, pitch count, whatever. It's like, oh, no, it's fine. He's still in the game. You're good. No, no worries. I, I get to still look forward to his next at bat. And, uh, and, that, and that kept me watching, right? I mean, this game, on top of the fact that China's effort was truly incredible on the back of some amazing defense. I believe Japan walked 16 times and only scored uh, three runs through the first and six innings, which is just really, really, really special. Um, and they hit a home run, first homer uh, that they've hit in the WBC since 2006. And uh, I, I could not believe how close this game was. I could not believe it. If there was like a Japanese version of first take, I would be on it this morning saying like, Japan needs to be worried, right? Like this only is a disgrace, beating, right? This like is a how, disgrace. Yeah. Yeah. Only beating China eight to one and stranding that many runners. Like early in the game, it felt like they were trying to keep it close. They had the bases loaded multiple times. Well, they had a runner thrown out at home. I mean, just look at how the game started. 
Newt Bar single, walk, mound visit, walk, mound visit, walk. Bases loaded. It's already one nothing. At that point, I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, we are going to see a mercy rule in five innings. Like, that is what is going to happen. Yoshida pops out, and then they have the flying into a double play where they they throw out the guy at home, and it was like, holy crap. Like, they are going <laughs> to keep this close, I guess, um, just to, for them to even pull out of that. And there was one moment in the middle of the game Shortly after they had hit the home run, where they cut, I think it was the next inning, where they cut to the China dugout, and it was just all the guys on on the you know on the on the top top step, like all looking confident, and it was just like, I can't believe they've even gotten to this point. I cannot believe it, and that alone was worth <laughs> staying up for. Obviously, Japan pulled away late, but it was it was a it was a truly amazing effort, and now like. Czech Republic better not better not try and sleep on or let or Australia like you better not be sleeping on this Chinese team like listen I'm still would be surprised if they win a game but wow I I'm impressed most impressive eight to one L in baseball history I Fact. want people to think about the talent gap here and how cavernous it is okay Japan is the second best league in the world NPB is the second best league in the world. Add to that all-star team, Otani, Darvish, Yoshida, Newt Bar, right? This is a team, the Japanese team probably makes the postseason in MLB, Mm -hmm. I would say, right? China does not have a single player in the major leagues. I don't believe they have a single player. I think maybe one, maybe one. Um, One in NPB, maybe yeah. Actually, no, the guy, the, the Japanese born guy that they have plays for like an industrial league team. Right. 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 Yeah. It's, and it so is a- most of these players are either in college, living in China, playing in the domestic Chinese league that has not played since 2018, I believe, or they're like playing mediocre indie ball in America. Mm-hmm. They're brought in a reliever. Who last year allowed, what was it, 13 runs in nine innings or something in a collegiate summer league that is not, it's like the fifth best collegiate summer league in America. And this guy got rocked and he's in there facing Samurai Japan. They, is the, they cut at one point. They I think it was, I think it was Chen Chen or one of the one of the position two Chen players. Chen's, by the way. They oh sorry, there are okay, there are two Chen Chen's. That that is confusing. They cut and they were like, this guy, they showed his stats and he had a 500 OPS in Indie Ball last year or whatever, right? And it's like, he's facing Otani. Like the fact that he's <laughs> putting the bat on the ball that he put the ball play that they homered against Shosei Togo, who's also one of the best pitchers in Japan. And I know that was clearly, I think their leadoff guy, you know, why? who I assume is their best player, like... It was it was amazing. It was it it, it lived up to the to the like. P- there's part of me that that as you joked last episode, like, oh, are they going to get to 20 runs, 30 runs, whatever? But I, I was just as captivated by the fight in this game. I I want to be clear, like, we're not trying to do like Chinese government propaganda here. Like, we're not being paid <laughs> no, to no. like all, pump. Although pump I will say up. there was also part of me that was thinking like, I mean, people people make this joke. It's like they have you know. One and a half billion people, and like this is the best they can do. But like, hey, guess what? Like, 
I am not going to count out them figuring out a way to produce good baseball players at some point in the next 10 years. If they, like, truly, right? Obviously, COVID threw the whole country out of whack for a lot of reasons. This was hardly still, a priority. Still, like, still, right? Still. Yeah. But, uh, but at the same time, like, um, that is a lot of people, and there are resources being going, uh, putting towards it. So we will see. What do you think the Chinese national team would do in, like, in the major leagues right now. Like, do they win 20 games? No. No way. No chance. 20 games? No. Absolutely not. No. I mean, I think they could win a game, right? Because it's baseball. One in, one, six, one in 161? Because it's baseball, you know, and I just watched Nicaragua no-hit the Mets. We could get to that in a second or almost. Like, these things are possible. It's that's That is that is the beauty of the sport uh, in, in a way that, honestly, is not possible in other sports. Um, generally when the talent gap is this big, but yeah, I mean, that's, I think, I think we've, I think we've made the point clear. This was unbelievable. Um, I'm fascinated to see how they do moving forward, but they've already, they've already, uh, impressed me enough. So just like my dude, trainer, <laughs> my dude, Chen Chen of like Zhangzhou Pegasus is out here trying to get his front foot down to time up a, a hundred mile an hour Shohei Otani fastball. Like it is, this is why the WBC Freaking rules, right? Yeah. Yep. The Absolutely. the branding of it, to be clear, from like art, like we work at Fox, right? Like the Fox branding on the ads and the MLB branding is like best players in the world facing off on their country. And like in the later rounds, if we get Sandy Alcantara against Mike Trout in their national uniforms, like great. But we see that all the time. Like we see the best players in the world playing one another all the time. The novelty of this tournament to me is that, you know, Chen Chen of the Guang, sorry, Jianshu Pegasus is facing the greatest baseball player in the history of the world, okay? It is remarkable. I'm honestly pissed now thinking about this that I, I won't get to see this again. <laughs> that we won't, that I wish Japan. But this is why and we woke up. China, I mean, this is why right. we woke up because it's like you, you, you do not want to miss. Uh, this opportunity and and yeah it'll it'll be man man uh i tweeted something that this was maybe the biggest single talent gap in televised baseball history otani versus this lineup and someone responded and said maybe but great britain is facing off against the greatest lineup ever compiled ever assembled next week with the us and i think it's a little different personally because like otani versus the nine hitter on china is bigger than double A pitcher versus Paul Goldschmidt. Yes, I think I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that there's a fair retort, like the last pitcher on Britain versus the heart of the order for the Team USA, sure. Like but, Mateo Solacito yeah, against Mike Yeah, but still, Trout. like, again, it, Team China has two players in a major like league in China. They have one pitcher who's in the KBO and they have one guy, Alan Carter, who I'm, I'm excited to see when he's going to pitch. He's in the Angels minor league organization. Um, so that's it, right? Great Britain has a ton of guys who are in the big leagues even, you know, like they, that's, so it's, I, I know it's easy to make, and I understand assuming, no, there's a reason why we assume China was the worst and and they, they man, oh, just amazing. All right, uh, anything else on this? We should probably move, move to some other stuff. I just can't stop thinking about it. It is like, it is one of my favorite baseball things in recent memory. If you did not wake up for this, totally understand. Go watch the highlights. Go watch some of this game. It is unlike any baseball thing you'll ever see. 
from a physicality talent standpoint, it's just remarkable. The whole thing is great. I will say though, like we will get this for Japan Czech Republic to some degree. It's it's similar. It is similar. And yes, they do have some guys, and and honestly, they've been playing baseball more recently and practiced more recently than than China. Um, at the same time, like that element will still exist for that game, and that will be a similar kind of uh, underdog story that that will be very very cool. Uh, Let's so yeah. now hop over to Taiwan where Pool A is taking place. And we mentioned Ioannis earlier, but I guess the main story here so far is that Team Cuba, the former powerhouse of the international baseball jamboree, is already a hefty 0-2 before some teams have even played, most teams have even played a game. And the Netherlands, team that I slept on, is already 2-0. The Netherlands beating Cuba in their first game and Panama in their second, while Cuba... Lost to the Netherlands in game one before losing to Italy about 15 minutes ago. Jordan, why is Cuba struggling? I mean, it's it's hard to say. I would say the first thing is that um, Luis Robert does not look like he had ever heard of a slider, let alone seen one um, before this before this tournament. Uh, so that is the, the top of the order um, is not exactly showing out. Alfredo Despagne, the greatest hitter in WBC history and one of the best hitters in Cuba history, did not play in the first game because of an injury, and he had an impact offensively in this second game. The bottom of the lineup is just not very good, and the pitching is, is I think, talented. This, we have seen some good stuff. Roenis was awesome in this second game, and Yariel Rodriguez was awesome too in that first game, but... They like they used all their best arms and they're 0 and 2. So they're toast. I mean, you can technically still advance going two and two with a huge run differential if you get lucky. Um, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, I wouldn't say they looked any better or worse than I expected. Like they they kind of performed pretty much what I expected, and they they had some close games and they 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 kind of just fell short, which is unfortunate. But I think people have a notion of Cuba as this juggernaut mm-hmm. in this type of competition. Because they used to be, but it is important to understand that kind of a big wave of defections of players to the U.S. and a lack of organization internally in Cuba kind of dealing with that trend has made it harder for them to develop new younger players that stay in Cuba. And at the same time, they did not get all the best Cuban players Mm -hmm. to come and play on this team, the guys who are in the big leagues. Like a lot has been made of Moncada and Robert, but that's it. Right. Like there are no other hitters in the lineup who are playing stateside. Yeah. And that's there should be like there Jose Abreu and like all these other guys. Right. And I mean, whether Randy Rosarin is playing for Mexico. Right? right. Like there's a lot of versions of that. And then, and then the other part of it is especially on the position player side. Right. I mean, this lineup is crazy old. It's like, oh, great. Alfredo Despagne, one of the best players in WBC history. He's still going, and yes, he still looks pretty good, which is amazing. But like having him and Santos and, and Cespedes, of course, and Arubarena, like these guys are in their 30s, mid 30s, late 30s. Like against some of these other younger teams, let alone you know a team like the Netherlands that has plenty of good major leaguers and younger players. Like it's that was really going to be their struggle. So yeah. I would be curious to read a story about why a lot of these Cuban players aren't playing. Whether that is their teams didn't want them to play or they didn't want to play for Team Cuba, mm-hmm. or there are like internal forces at Cuba baseball that for a variety of very obvious reasons involving defection didn't want these guys to play. But like I said, you know, Nestor Cortez, Jordan Alvarez, Yasmani Grandal, Jose Abreu, 
even crappier role as Chapman. You know, Yuli Gurriel, Lourdes Gurriel. Yeah. Like there's these a are- lot. And I'm sure it's a combination of all those things, but I agree with you. Like it's definitely, it's definitely complicated, right? Sorry, it's complicated enough to get guys to play the WBC for any reason when there's a lot of other layers of, uh, of, of, of politics and of relationships and of, of just choices. You know, Jose Abreu, especially, you know, he's with a new team now and, you know, he probably wants to be with the Astros to start the year. Like there's so many different things and I'm sure it's right. a personal decision, but to your point, it, it made it a very incomplete team. And, and when you look at these two teams, like, Robert and Moncada are very talented, but they have not shown up offensively. And if they're not going to show up, then they really didn't have much of a chance. So that is the main story from that pool. Netherlands looking really good. Xander yeah, Bogart's I was just going to say, pa- Panama looked really good in their first game against against Taiwan. Um, and then, you know, they lost to Netherlands today. Netherlands 2-0. And I've been surprised their pitching has been as good as it's been. But uh, nice to see Profar and Bogarts both homer um, in, in the game against against Panama. And, Someone uh, pay Profar, baby. Which, which also, like that park, that's been another story. Is like not easy to hit it out of the the park in Taiwan. Um, that is something we will be be watching closely uh, during during this during the rest of this pool because it it's, it is a large yard and the ball is not exactly carrying like it is in say D one college baseball. <laughs> Let's talk about Team Italy and then we'll take a quick break. The Italian Stallions, the Bada Bing Bada Booms, really the Italian American All Star Team plus a couple. Uh, homegrown Italian players. Incredible stuff. All, like 80% of the team is rocking the Mike Piazza mustache, which is just an outstanding look. To have like the old Piazza on the bench looking out at all of the Italian-American guys that he inspired, so many of whom are like from the Eastern seaboard, right? And like gr- probably grew up watching Piazza and now they get to play for him. They have the... This the finger celebration, like the hand. I don't even know how I would verbalize this, but you probably know what I'm <laughs> I doing. Think people, I think people the know what you're doing. Hey, right. Like they every time they get a hit, they do that. Um, and then there's the sight of uh, Robel Garcia, who is on this team, who when you looked on the list of players, you're probably like, Robel Garcia, why is he on Italy? Well, the funny thing is that he is the most Italian of uh, one of the more Italian players on this team because he played in Italy for five years and married an Italian and like lived there. Whereas like shouts out to my man, Vinny P, but he just went to Italy for the first time. <laughs> so this whole team ago. did. I mean, they were talking about that on the broadcast, right? But it's uh, great. It's it's a it's a hilarious uh, mix. And. And right, like multiple guys from St. John's, like it's just like it, it, they are they're checking every box of what you would expect this team to be, and they look pretty good. And you know, your your scouting report coming into it, like put the ball in play, and and, and good things will happen. That was generally true. That was generally true in this first game against Cuba. Um, they only struck out five times. Um, and if if homers are not gonna be really a thing in this pool, then they should be in pretty decent shape. Um, again, the pitching was kind of an interesting mess. Like Matt Festa, I would say is one of their best relievers. Palante looked really good. Um, you know, Festa gave up, blew the save, and then ultimately they ended up winning an extras, but, uh, you know, he, he still looked good. I mean, it was just a couple, couple hard hit balls. So, uh, Matt Harvey, <laughs> I guess we should mention Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey looks as, as cooked as, as one can be just chucking it in there at 88, as cooked um, as my as my Nona's eggplant parmesan, but, but uh, but you know, three scoreless is three scoreless. So salute to Matt Harvey, I suppose. 
I hope he doesn't have to start an, a very important game against. Like I, I would be very curious if he, if they make it out of this pool. Like, are they really going to have him start against Japan? Like, I maybe, but I would just be very, very curious to see that on the broadcast. They were trying to be nice, and they were like. Harvey is not here as like a farewell tour. Like he still thinks he can pitch. I'm like, well, he's wrong because he's freaking done. Uh, the other thing about Team Italy, Jordan, that I don't like, and I like how the players have responded to this, is that their jerseys have buttons all the way up. And I think that an Italian jersey should be missing the top three buttons on an unusual jersey in order to show the chest off. And I like that most of the players have been foregoing undershirts and those top three buttons. You're, we're getting pretty close to being able to see Vinny Pasquantino's belly button. And I think that's really important for the Italian team. So if I'm Piazza and Drew Butera or Blake Butera, excuse me, who's helping this team as a bench coach, I'm banning undershirts. I think that yeah. that's probably against what it means to be a, a, an Italian-American baseball player. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's a fair a fair take because yeah. uh, right, like why are we tuning in to watch this team? We like like they are delivering. They are they are like yeah. I said, they are giving us a lot of what we would hope to see out of the Italian team. But we can we can go even further now. You're one and zero. You've got some confidence. You got some momentum. Uh, we'll see what they can do next. Things are uh, looking good for the Israel-Italy World Baseball Classic final in which we and Vinny Pasquantino fight to the death. We will be right back here on Baseball Barbacast with more WBC chatter after this. Negro League's Baseball Museum president, Bob Kendrick, hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. This show is not an exhibition. This is a real podcast that counts in the win column. But we are going to take a second to talk about some exhibitions because yesterday, all of the WBC teams, the 10 teams that are playing in the U.S.-based pools, faced off against MLB teams in spring training parks, and the results were predictably entertaining. Yeah, uh, we were hyping this up a few weeks ago. We saw this on the calendar. And now there were some quirks to these games. The teams were did not use all their players. And so some of the MLB teams were loaning players in the middle of the game, loaning pitchers in the middle of the game. <laughs> we can get to some of our favorite ones of those in a second. But it was great. I mean, it was just, it was funny to just look at the box scores. It was It was funny to look at, you know, Altuve playing against the Astros and you had other guys playing against their own teams. Um, Did you see the just... video of Kike in his Puerto Rico jersey yep. against the Red Sox walking from the Red Sox clubhouse in through the Red Sox dugout and across the field? In, in his Puerto Rico jersey, yeah. So there was uh, there was all kinds of, of funny stuff. And then also just like the results. Of course, this was the first game that these teams 
have played together. I mean, they, they just got together like two days ago. And that's one of the other just wild parts about this whole process, especially for the U.S.-based pools, because I'm pretty sure a lot of the teams in Asia have been working out for weeks, right? Cuba has been over there for weeks. And so where in this case, you know, DR just and, and Team USA, it's like, all right, one practice and now we're going to play a game. And I know they got a couple days before the, the, the real games start, but, um, you know, you could kind of sense that it was a little bit uh, new for, for some of the teams playing together. But, I mean, you, you can do that with baseball, and that was pretty funny. We did have some some huge upsets. You know, Columbia taking down the A's. Is that an upset? I'm not sure. Nicaragua only allowing one hit against the Mets. Uh, that Taking a no-hitter into the seventh was fantastic. Venezuela uh, and the Astros played a very close game, and then the DR just stomping the Braves um, as one. That was one maybe that we could have seen coming considering the Braves lineup. Can I do this in like my uh, reporter voice for a second, Please. actually? All right, taking a look around the country in some of the matchups. Let's head over to Florida where the Dominican Republic took down the Atlanta Braves by a score of 9-0. to zero. Great Britain losing to the Brewers 8-2 to two in Arizona. Puerto Rico down 9-3 to the Red Sox after 9. Mexico losing 6-0 to to the Cleveland Guardians. Columbia 3-2 win over the A's. The Cubs besting Canada 11-7. The Mets 2-0 losers against Nicaragua. Venezuela edging the Astros 9-8. Israel losing 11-5 to the Marlins, while the Giants emerge victorious against the United States 5-1. All of this is freaking hilarious i want three weeks of these games (laughs) they are so weird let's talk about the lending of the players first i think because you have a situation and you mentioned this where these teams are running out of players like there are not enough guys on the u.s team to pitch or to come in as a replacement where it makes like it just doesn't work the numbers don't work and so these teams are lending players and they're wearing the t-shirts of the other team. Okay. So you had situations where like there's a guy on in the giant system named Hayden Cantrell who just got to put on a team USA t-shirt and play against the giants, the team that pays him his salary yesterday. But some of them uh, didn't even do, they were just, I know the Astros um, just gave a picture to Venezuela and he was just wearing his Astros jersey. And <laughs> I was like, sure, we're, we're, we're chilling. We're hanging out. Um, yes, it was it was very goofy. And because, yeah, I mean, the spring training, regular spring training, you basically have like infinite players available normally. So that is quite the opposite for these for these national teams. We are going to get another day of these of these games um, today on the 9th. We got Venezuela taking on the Mets. We got Columbia White Sox, Great Britain against the Royals. That's not an accident. Mm. They must have scheduled that on purpose. That seems like uh, an absolute The Royals lamp. family. <laughs> um, uh, Israel against the Nats. Uh, Canada against the Mariners today. So, yeah, all of these were, were very funny. And then, but we, I think we should also talk about one of the other takeaways from this. Uh, the U.S. just got stomped by Anthony DeSclafani and David VR. We joked a couple of weeks ago about Logan Webb pitching in this game as a revenge game for saying, no, I care more about the Giants than my country. I'm not pitching for you. Uh, but instead, we got a, a combination of Anthony DeSclafani, Sean Manaya. Uh, Scott Alexander, Scott Alexander, John Brebbia, and Mauricio Lavera holding the greatest lineup ever assembled to one run on four hits. <laughs> four hits. 
to me, that is the biggest takeaway. And a great reminder that baseball is stupid, right? Great reminder that baseball is stupid and like, I wouldn't bet on this happening in the game against Great Britain. Obviously, because uh, Di Silvani and Shamanaya would be the best pitchers on Great Britain by a long shot. Um, at the same time, who fucking knows what's going to happen? Baseball's hard. <laughs> so we'll see. Betts, Trout, Schwarber, Goldschmidt, Arenado, Kyle Tucker, Trey Turner, JT Realmuto, Jeff McNeil. To see that written on a lineup card was very cool and very fun. And to see that team only get four hits against the Giants, who were like not even the Dodgers mm-hmm. or, you know, the Astros, like the Giants are fine. <laughs> and, and the greatest team ever assembled got four hits. This is great. If this was the NBA, this would be the first story on every like if the, didn't the NBA lose like an exhibition game to like the oh, Virgin Islands oh, or something? Well, but and, but again, but that's but that's what I was saying before. Like this is not really pot. Like this is very possible in baseball, you know. Um, and it just isn't. It shouldn't be in other sports when the gap is that big. Shouts out to Kyle Schwarber for being the designated hitter on this team, and this got me thinking about him specifically in the DH role specifically. Because to be the designated hitter for Team USA is its own special thing. Because every single player on this bench could be the DH, right? And every single American baseball player and every single American citizen could be the designated hitter for the US team. And it is a little different to me than like first base or left field because people have their own specific things they're good at, whatever. Kyle Schwerber is basically tabbed as, you, sir, are the best hitter in America. Congratulations. <laughs> right. I mean, that's because, yeah, all the other positions make sense. The outfield being Betts Turner, or sorry, Betts Trout Tucker makes sense. And so it's really about him versus Pete, I guess. And and I'm sure they'll they'll play the matchups uh, to some degree. But but like you could have that be Cedric Mullins and like Cedric Mullins hit like 285. So, and like, you know what I mean? This is a good transition to to another bit of, of WBC news that I think we should hit on, which is the other loaded team, which is the Dominican Republic. Uh, Enrique Rojas reported that the Red Sox um, are not going to allow the Dominican team to use Rafael Devers at first base. Now, this has only become relevant because Vlad Jr. pulled out with an injury. And so because they already have all of the best, you know, left side of the infield, all the, you know, Machado and Adamas and Franco and all these guys, it originally was going to be Devers DHing and Vlad at first, Machado at third. Now, Vlad comes out, and you don't have a first baseman anymore, so they add Jamer Candelario, but now you have a situation where are you going to have uh, Devers uh, still DHing? Probably. Um, but there's, it's, getting, it's getting a little, a little crowded uh, in, the, in the Dominican lineup, which, again, good problems to have. I'm, curious, I'm sure they'll play the matchups as well, but we'll see how that, that kind of uh, shuffles uh, out together. I just find it funny that the place that they're having trouble is first base, right? <laughs> just go that's, call. That's call on brand, Juan, right? Yeah, I call mean, Juan Francisco. He's got to be around. Oh right? my god, I know. I, that was the other thing. I the other thing I thought, like, um, I didn't even to mention Jeremy Pena because I'm sure that there's interest in Catal Marte. Like, they have all these. They're they're too good, right? But that's who the guys you wanted to hit. But then they're like, oh shit, no, we actually need someone to first. Like Candelario will come and do it, or Robinson Cano. 
which I don't think anybody really wants to see when it's he did team, Homer, right? We'll see. He did. He did him and Nelson Cruz both homered against the Braves. So pretty. That's hilarious. it. That's good. Be done. Just send them. Yeah, both away. like just that. That should be more than enough. Um, the last uh, thing we need to talk about from the exhibitions is Martin Perez singing the national anthem before Venezuela and uh, the Astros. This was great. When we talked about this earlier, you seem to suggest like you you just wondered why this happened. Obviously, he was more than prepared. Um, he knew did a the great words. job. Just amazing for a long anthem too, right? Uh, but you were one. I guess your question is like, how far in advance was this the plan? Yeah, I just don't think I'm skeptical that in planning out this exhibition game, the you know Astros game operations staff got together and said, I know, let's have Martin Perez do it. And I'm also skeptical that Martin Perez went to the Venezuelan team and said, I would like to sing the anthem, right? See, I disagree. I think, well, first of all, the great news is that as soon as we're done recording, we'll just ask Daniel Alvarez and he'll have the answer for us. Um, So we should just do that. I think that he... They must have known. Someone on the team must have known. Like Martin can can sing, so let's let's do it. Like this is funny. Except he's he. Here's the thing. He was never going to do this during one of the actual games, and so if they wanted to have them have this opportunity to do this, I think this is perfect, and I love this. I love it too. But to me, I'm a little skeptical. <laughs> you think I, he was like pressured into doing it because they no, didn't no, have no, anyone no, else no, to no, sing? No, no, no. I think what happened was. About five hours before first pitch, they realized that they did not ha- they had someone there to sing the U.S. anthem, mm. like some local West Palm Beach, you know, <laughs> children's choir or whatever the fuck. And then they were like, "Uh oh, we don't have anyone to sing the Venezuelan anthem. And it's a bad look if we do the Venezuelan anthem recorded and the other one live. Like, what do we do? Oh, maybe someone on the team can sing. We should ask. And that's how it came together. That's my theory. Because I've seen that happen at Division Three baseball games before. <laughs> that's true. And, and so, this was the same thing. It was a Division Three baseball game, right? Exactly. And just quickly, <laughs> they, there's a quote in an article on MLB.com from Brian McTaggart about it, where he said, uh, this is from Perez, they always told me, are you sure you're going to do it? And I said, yes, I know I can do it. And I'm scared to speak in front of people, though. I love to sing. It's something that just comes out of my mouth naturally. I tried to enjoy it this time. And he talked about how like he sings at home all the time in front of his family, but never like in public. Okay. So this, I feel like this gives credence to what I was saying, which is that clearly they were like, oh, Martin's got pipes. Like this would be freaking sweet uh, if we can have him do that, if we can convince him to do that. So Uh, actually, you know what's even funnier is if they did have someone to sing the Venezuelan anthem and they were like, Ah, sorry. Actually, see that guy over there? He's actually starting game one. Also, he's going to be singing the anthem instead of you. you. Oh, they got some like local, you know, Venezuelan grandpa with a guitar, like ready to strum his heart out. (laughs) And they're like, ah, sorry, buddy. Uh, See that guy over there? He throws 95 and also would like to sing. Before we take a break, I do think we should talk about Shlomo Lippitz Mm -hmm. on here. It'll be a little bit of a sneak sneak preview. Yeah, let's not go too deep here, but we should mention it. Jordan, I will ask you this question. Who is Shlomo Lippitz and why is he relevant right now? Uh, That is a challenging question to answer. What you need to know is that we did mention this on on one of the WBC previews, that Shlomo Lippitz 
is a 44-year-old pitcher on Team Israel who has been on Team Israel uh, since before Israel was Israel. And he has been checking for this. Not that long. Uh, He has been checking for this team uh, for quite some time. And he appeared in their exhibition against the Marlins yesterday. And the most notable thing, perhaps all of it, not the fact that he pitched at all, is the fact that he was pitching in a stadium with StatCast. And what that meant is that when you would see Shlomo Lippitz pitch in international tournaments, you would wonder, wow, that doesn't look like he's throwing very hard. Now we know for sure. He sure wasn't. Um, Jake, I know there's so much more to this story, but let's just say that um, there is so much more to this story and we are very excited to, to learn more in the near future. So I will let everyone know I have been working on and reporting out for the last month a very long feature on Mr. Shlomo Lippitz. And he came into the game yesterday and I could not watch it because there was no feed. And so I put on the radio broadcast and pulled up the um, <laughs> I pulled up the game cast and I tweeted a, a picture of how slow he was throwing, which was 74 miles an hour. And people were like, wow, he's not even throwing a fastball. And I wanted to be like, that's the fastball. Like he's throwing 74 mile an hour fastballs that move so much that stat casting, it's a change up. But then when I tweeted this, people were like, wow, so perfect that the guy's name is Slow-Mo Lippitz. And not once in the month of reporting this story out, Jordan, did I ever think that his name being Shlomo related to him throwing very soft? Never. That never came to my mind. And immediately the public caught on to that. It was so right there. It was right it was, there. It was not even hidden in plain sight. I was in too uh, deep. So I guess yeah. I'll stay. Stay yeah. tuned. There's a lot here. Let me just read. Can I just read one quote, Jordan, that I have just to whet the palate for please, a second? Please. Then we'll take one break and then we'll come back and, and wrap this, this here podcast. This is a quote about Shlomo Lipitz. His style is crazy, too. The sort of Israeli street style thing he's got going on. He dresses like a fucking magician and he behaves as if there's nothing weird about it. He's either trained himself to behave as if there's nothing unusual or he actually doesn't think there's anything weird. I'm not sure which. That's a man. He, the, the, the code of his life is simply Sababa. <laughs> On that note, uh, we're going to take another break and we'll be back here with the end of this episode of Baseball Broadcast. And we're back here for the ninth inning of this episode of Baseball Barbacast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman. Let's put the World Baseball Classic on ice for a quick second and talk about the news and notes from around the spring training world. I, since we last recorded, Jordan, have not watched a single inning of spring training because it sucks. But let's talk about it anyway. And where do you want to begin? Uh, well, on that, that's a great, great, <laughs> great uh, lead in for this. Yeah. I mean, th- listen, we're going to talk about some spring training performances, even if we haven't been watching every game, but there has been some news that, that I feel will actually impact the season beyond the spring training. So let's talk about that first. And of course, the most important news in any off season is what the fuck are the Rockies doing? The Rockies signed Mike Boustakis and Brad Hand uh, last week. This one just came out of nowhere, I think partially because everyone forgot that Mike Boustakis and Brad Hand were still free agents. 
Rockets. And now they are on the Rockies. Uh, the Mike Moustakis one, I think, is most interesting because this seems to be a response to Brendan Rodgers having season-ending surgery. And that is weird because it's like you have other young infielders that should definitely be playing instead of signing Mike Moustakis at the beginning of March. And yet it seems that they would like to sign Mike Moustakis in the middle of March and have him play second base. I won't believe it until I see it. It should be Ryan McMahon. It should be Nolan Jones, who they just traded for. It should be Ezekiel Tovar, one of the best prospects in the game. But who freaking knows with the Rockies? Who freaking knows? Mike Moustakis, 35 bombs guaranteed. Let's talk about the Mike Clevenger situation now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Clevenger was... I, 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 I guess the correct phrasing is cleared by MLB to just go ahead and pitch. Yes. Uh, he was under investigation for domestic violence, domestic assault uh, allegations that came out, I believe, over the offseason after he signed with the White Sox. MLB released a statement saying that they had conducted a thorough investigation and cleared Clevenger to pitch. Here, something is weird here for me mm-hmm. with this. Because MLB has shown a willingness to suspend players, maybe not to the extent that they should be suspended or at the frequency maybe that they should be suspended, but they have levied significant punishments down on notable players, including Mike Clevenger's BFF, Trevor Bauer, right? Bauer's suspension time was reduced, but MLB gave him a ton, a ton of time. So I find it bizarre that Clevenger was not given any suspension time because, you know, I believe the accuser in this situation, obviously, and there's like pretty significant evidence that he did some of the things he was accused of. Mm -hmm. And then MLB in their statement said that he was going to go into a treatment program, right? Well, if you're admitting that he needs a treatment program, then aren't you saying that he is guilty of something? And so there's a disconnect there for me. And I have a suspicion that there is more to this story that we don't know and I think will become unraveled in time. But something is just off about it. Yeah, I'm with you at the same time. Like, there's always way more going on than we ever know about. And that's true to the ones like Bauer, who are getting suspended, and that's true to the ones like Clevenger who are not. And so I think what's most important is that these are very disturbing allegations and that we respect the situation and acknowledge that it is very challenging to talk about and challenging to grapple with the fact that sometimes these guys get punished and sometimes they don't, and we don't always have all the facts in one way or the other. And it puts a lot of people in a tough spot, right? It puts White Sox fans in a tough position. It puts White Sox teammates in the tough position. It's it's something that uh, we deal with this in sports often. And sometimes guys get punished and sometimes they don't. And there's reasons for that that we don't always know all of. I agree with you. It does seem a little strange. And it's just upsetting because these details were so out there. And now we just are left thinking, okay, well, I guess he's just going to keep pitching. And it's easy to just be like, all right, you know, ban and ban all these guys forever. That is is very easy to say. And yeah, these people are not, these are the kinds of actions when you hear about them and you believe them are not people that you want to have in the sport. Uh, But I just kind of fall back on like, there are investigations happening all the time and sometimes they're finding a lot and sometimes they're finding not as much as we, as we would assume. So I don't know, it's it's difficult. With him specifically, like I feel very confident 
mm-hmm. in what I'm about to say, talking to people around the game who know him and have been around him. Like he is a bad dude. This is mm-hmm. a bad dude, right? Yeah. I don't want to mince words here. And I'm not trying to like throw dirt on this guy's name, but like in this situation, it, it deserves to have it. Like this guy is a problem, right? Yeah. And it is incredibly uncomfortable and unsavory that he will now return to the field of play where people who are none the wiser will be cheering his name and mm. getting on their feet and clapping every time he gets outs. And like yeah. that's no, that, that I what the other thing that it does is mm-hmm. like just because MLB cleared him, it creates this sense of like he was the victim or like somehow he was wronged in this situation. Right. You know, and something unjust was done to him where like I feel confident saying that I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. Right. And it it I talked about this on the pod earlier before, like about Bauer and like how kids interpret all this, thi- all the all these topics. And like I this just sucks. I'm this one is just bad, bad, bad. And yeah. I don't think it's over. Yeah, I, would not I, yeah I, I don't know if, if there's any part of it that is still open. Um, I would say the one other thing I would just add is like, it seems like there's a lot of drug use involved in this situation. And that is another very sensitive topic yeah. that complicates a lot of this. Um, but it doesn't excuse any of the allegations. And to your point, like when it, you, you go through investigation and you you come out with findings, whatever, it does just give the 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 sense of like, oh, he's he's good. And that's not that's not helpful, and that and that is challenging to to kind of move forward with. Um, I totally agree with you on that. So we'll see. I mean, again, he's not. This is not the first guy to have been accused of something and then get cleared, and then we have to just grapple with the fact that, or or have a shorter suspension, and they come back, and we're like, all right, well, I guess this guy's like still in the sport, um, and that's right. that's hard. So yeah. All right, let's. Where do you want to move on from there? I guess let's, uh, Lorenzo Kane announced his retirement via friend of the show, Andy McCullough. <laughs> Uh, Low Kane, one of the most fascinating and incredible baseball development stories that really we've ever had, showing up to his high school tryout as a sophomore or a junior, maybe, uh, in jeans and becoming a big leaguer. He had really never played any baseball before that. And it's it's just a reminder that you need to get kids on the field. If you get kids on the field and you give them the opportunity to play, a lot of them will wow you. Yes. Um, sounds like he'll retire Royal, which is very cool. Um, and yeah, no, I mean, he's, retire him a Royal. <laughs> damn right. And, uh, I mean, yeah, just straight up one of the most fun players to watch over the last 10 years. So happy for low Kane, Mitch Moreland, another one of the most electric players that we've had <laughs> over the last 10 years, also retiring similar kind of profile in terms of athleticism and, mm. you know, stunning acrobatic plays in the field. Now I'm obviously joking, but Mitch Moreland was also a pretty badass two-way player uh, early in his career. He was more of a pitcher coming into pro ball than a hitter, and he became a totally solid platoon first baseman for a very long time. And he has also decided to hang it up. So Mitch Moreland, we salute you. Mitch Moreland, uh, Jake Mitz, a career war and career home runs for Mitch Moreland. I don't have it in front of me. What is your guess? Career home runs? I will career, say 100. War. I'll say 110. Okay, I'm going to say war, 141. The career war, I'll say uh, 11.6. I will say 9.2. Mitch Moreland, who is 37 years old, 10.9 war. All right. 186 home runs. That's so many. Pretty fucking good, man. Mitch Moreland did not play in 2022. 
This is this is a classic baseball player thing is not announcing your retirement until after you've not played for a whole season because nobody wants you anymore. Like that is the essence of hanging on just a little bit too long. You got to be remembered. Hey, I'm out of here. Uh, you haven't been here, but <laughs> hey, hey, I'm thanks for I'm, le- I'm leaving. Weren't you gone? <laughs> you left. Uh, the other thing I want to briefly banter about is retiring as a team. Like, oh, I love oh, that we do yeah. this in sports where players can retire a, a member of the team that they spent their whole career with. Have we ever had a scenario where a guy like wanted to retire as a member <laughs> of a team that like he grew up rooting for, but but like d- oh. but never played for where if oh. it was like, I you thought know, like I, I, I'm trying to think of, of, of an example. Uh, like, I'm sure who's a guy yeah. who's like a diehard fan as a kid. Like, you know, let's say like Stephen Kwan was like a diehard Giants fan mm-hmm. growing up. Let's say he plays his whole career with Cleveland and he's like, I want to retire a giant. I thought you were going to say like they tell the media, oh, I want to retire to, to as so-and-so. And the other team's like, eh, nah, you that good. You, you weren't, weren't that, that good. good. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a guy who underwhelmed in a city. <laughs> right. Like Johnny Damon's like, I want to retire a Yankee. <laughs> They're like, oh, Jacoby Ellsbury. That's I nice. Like ret- that's really nice, man. Uh, that's amazing. We wish yeah. you all the best. That's so cool. Uh, we're busy that day. <laughs> we can't do that uh, for you. Uh, producer Andrew Emmer in the chat dropping the Mike Trout retire as an eagle is extremely funny. Thank he you. He already has. Um, okay. Uh, let us uh, move on to our next uh, bit of news. Couple injuries uh, in the NL East. Uh, let's do this one quickly. Jose Quintana appears to have a, a cracked rib, uh, uh, which is not ouch. We don't like that. We don't like that. Adding to his weird injuries after he uh, after cutting his finger washing the dishes uh, a couple of years ago. Um, this is maybe not the old Mets pitcher you would have picked to get injured first, but it is a good reminder that they are all kind of old. And these things happen to pitchers in particular. Um, so now it's going to be the Ty Lore show or David Peterson, both of which are perfectly sufficient and solid five starters. But it is a reminder that they have very, 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 very little else behind that <laughs> besides Eliezer Hernandez and Jose Buto. Uh, so just a nice little refresher of like, yikes. It's the same kind of thing with the Montas injury with the Yankees. It's like, uh-oh, this can look not as good very I- quickly. I disagree with you, actually. I okay. think that the Mets do have some depth okay. more than than people realize. Like Peterson, McGill, Lucchese, oh, Eliezer Hernandez. Yeah. None yeah. of those guys are good. Yeah. And you don't want any of them starting, but they're all capable. The problem they'll have is if they have to give like three of them regular starts at the same time. I think yeah. it is it is just a reminder that the good pitchers in the Mets are all they're all. The depth, I think, is better than the Yankees. That's that's oh no, I agree. The depth is better than the Yankees. That's true. So that's maybe an unfair comp. I will say though that it's like okay, well, I hope Carlos Carrasco doesn't get hurt because he gets hurt. I hope Kodai Senga is like awesome and durable immediately. Like it's just like that little bit more, a little bit more pressure on the middle of the middle of the rotation. Um, hopefully Quintana's fine. He was really fucking good in the second half last year. So uh, would like to see him back with the Mets. The injury that is much more interesting and a little bit scarier especially because we have no idea what it really is, is Andrew Painter, Philadelphia Phillies pitching prospect, who is still 19, I believe, for another few weeks. Um, 
very vague report of tender elbow after his electric spring training debut. And this is weird because normally with elbow stuff, it's like, ah, we'll take a rest. Okay. Uh Uh-oh, second opinion. Uh Uh-oh, Tommy John. Or it's okay. We'll take a rest. Oh, he's fine. Just forget about it. He was fine all along. This is somewhere in between where we don't seem to actually be getting any of the details about what is wrong with Andrew Painter. I can understand them being super cautious. And the weird part about this is that Scott Boris, his agent, appears to have gotten involved to some degree to where we are getting quotes like this from Rob Thompson, who said, we're still trying to get all the information together. Once we get it all read, he's such an important guy in our organization, a young top prospect. We just want to make sure the information is right and we'll give it to you at that point. This is very interesting language around an injury. This is not, we're getting a second opinion. This is, we're trying to decode this information that is being produced in like Mandarin? Like what? Is this like an episode of House? Like it's like a medical mystery? I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand what what they are trying to understand. We are obviously (laughs) not doctors, but um, it's just unusual language around a situation like this. And that is why It is curious and delicate, and Phillies fans are losing their absolute mind on the timeline. It's weird because they're quotes from Boris. There's this implication in there that he doesn't want Painter in the big leagues right now, where almost, like I'm not, I don't know this, this is conjecture, but you can read between the lines of what he's saying where it's like, we need to make sure the priority here is to make sure that he is healthy when he's 29 30, 31, right? Which would imply that he thinks that maybe the Phillies are rushing him to the big leagues into a situation that he's not ready for or that might get him injured. And while I understand that level of protection and making sure you're doing the best in your client's interest, I would imagine that like most people would be like, yes, get any client that I have to the big (laughs) leagues right away, immediately, start the clock. Yeah. Uh, The Boris quote, just for everyone who knows, um, He said, I have extensive studies on young pitchers with extreme velocity at young ages. Very. Wow. Cool. That's awesome. Cool, dude. That's awesome, Scott. (laughs) Uh, Scott's the only one that knows about this. (laughs) He has the reason. He did it all himself. Scott's like, wait a minute. If you throw hard, you might get hurt more. Hmm, interesting. Whoa. He continued, Andrew is aware and understands his development requires great attention and patience. So his rare skill extends throughout a long MLB career. And reading that, I think I agree with your interpretation, but I'm not 100% sold. Like, all of this is very strange. I'm not trying to suggest there's some sort of nefarious thing going on here, but what we have is just a very unique situation, which it has been from the beginning, Andrew Painter trying to make the big leagues out of camp as a 19-year-old pitcher. We know that was unprecedented. And so now with the slightest hint of concern on the injury side, now we're like... Um, okay, who wants what? How hurt is he? What does yeah. this mean? It's just funny Weird. to me that we have squeezed in one more Scott Boris opinion of a medical story into this offseason. <laughs> You're right. Like, 19-year-old pitcher has a sore arm. Scott Boris starts screaming patience into a microphone? Like, that's just bizarre. Yeah. W- whatever the reason is and whatever ends up happening – we are already at a, a slightly unprecedented place for a situation like that. I would also say that Andrew Painter, like 
there have probably been many cases where normal pitchers at many levels of the big leagues and minors, whatever, after a starter, like, oh, my elbow's not feeling great. All right. See you guys tomorrow. <laughs> but like if Andrew Painter comes in and it's like, oh, my elbow's not feeling great. It's like, oh God, oh God, oh God, what do we do? What do we do? What do we have to go see this guy? Go see this guy. Oh God, don't tell Boris. Yes, we have to tell Boris. Boris already knows. Like all these things start freaking out, which I get it because he is this, this precious. I, I understand. And we, again, we want Andrew Painter to be healthy and cared for and respected too. But that, that I feel like is also kind of heightening the situation here. Um, so anyway, uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. Maybe we'll have an update on that at some point by the end of this week or next week. Uh, the last thing we wanted to mention before we get to our spring training heroes is a big story that came out from Ken Rosenthal and Dennis Lynn at The Athletic today, just kind of detailing the Aaron Judge free agency story again. And while the main takeaway was, holy shit, the Padres offered him over $400 million, but he always wanted to be a Yankee. That's not news. <laughs> I think we kind of already assumed that the Padres were going to try and give as much money to anybody at any point. They tried to give it to Trey Turner. He was like, no, nah, I'm going to the Phillies. They tried to give it to Aaron Judge. He was like, I'm going to still be on the Yankees. Um, and then they were like, oh, Bogarts is only 200 whatever million. Pfft, great. More money to extend Machado in a couple of months. And then, you know, offer to Soto and Darvish and all these guys. So, uh, like, yeah, if, if if you needed this story to convince you that Peter Seidler means business, I'm not really sure what else what else you need to see. I like to think that there are Yankees fans who didn't know. Like, there are Yankees <laughs> fans who are living in a Yankee bubble, and they read this, they're like, oh, my God, the Padres. Have the you Padres. seen this? Get they, a load of these th guys. That said, all that said, just the sentence of, at that stage, the Padres were willing to give over $100 million more than the Yankees. Like, just read that sentence to, you know, any of us in 2014 and just, like, try and understand that that is the craziest thing that has happened. And then you can explain, like, the whole pandemic. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so that story was – I mean, there were some other fun details in there, but, like, it doesn't, it doesn't really change the way I view any of the people involved. So, Right. Um, yeah. That's a great it's, point. Yeah. It, is, it, it is confirmation of everything. Mm -hmm. Judge is a mm -hmm. homebody who only talks to three people. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Hal Steinbrenner is yeah, kind half, of half on edge story, all the time. Half the story was like Aaron Judge is loyal. And I was like, Yep. 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 I'm, we're He's not hitting fucking on awesome. Ken. Like, yeah, it it, it it was nothing about it was like particular the stuff about his agency was interesting sure. and revealing, and I didn't know a lot of that. Um, but in terms of the character building for a lot of these people, <laughs> it was like Aaron Judge is loyal. Okay, the Padres are gonna spend a lot of money. All right. Aaron Boone and Hal Steinbrenner uh, freak out sometimes and all like sometimes right. panic and uh, end up figuring it out in the end. All right. Got it. Cool. Right. Sweet. All right. Let's start right. the season. Honestly, Let's if anything, going. my takeaway was like, wow, like the Giants maybe wouldn't have been, weren't even in second place. Like that's the other part of it that's kind of weird because we all assumed it was them and it was the Padres. All right. Whatever. Not Wait, one last thing. Yeah. The, my biggest takeaway was, boy, oh boy, the judges love vacation. Like he couldn't <laughs> delay his vacation to Maui, like oh. two days to like finish his <laughs> well, contract. And also like my other thought was like, and listen, I don't know how this works because I'm not a wealthy person, but like, can't you get a private flight to, to Hawaii? You're about to sign for $300 million. Like I, that part was <laughs> like, oh no, we can't find a spot, a seat for judge and coach. And they, you know, oh no, he's in. Boarding group D for Southwest. Like, that's not going to work. <laughs> the other thing that was great. The other thing that was great in that article was the the way Ken was like, 
yeah, you know, Judge, who is 6'7", is too big for Coach. It's like, bro, come on. He's not too big for Coach. <laughs> there are 6'7 people who are judge flying. for Coach. You can't. You, it's okay. Like, Aaron Judge is not flying Coach. Like, I know that. You know that. America understands I that. Just, like, It was just weird where it was like, the Padres got him a private flight in like three minutes, um, but he couldn't find one to Hawaii. I was like, all right. Judge is like sitting in the middle seat on his seven hour flight to Hawaii, like bopping the attendant button. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, my headphone jack isn't working. There was another, there was another detail that was like, right before he got on his flight to Sacramento, he decided he was going to stay a Yankee. I'm picturing him like at the gate, at the gate. And they're like, and some Yankees fans like, Aaron, yo, man, you got to stay in New York. So and it's like, shit, God damn it, that guy's guy, right. That guy's making some good points. You know what? <laughs> hey, call Hal. I actually, let's make sure this happens. Or yeah. like he's walking through the airport and there's like a Danish family. <laughs> they're all wearing Yankees hats, but none of them know who Aaron Judge is. And he's like, that's it. Pinstripes That's for what me. The Yankees are all about. Or he walks on the flight. He walks on the flight, and the the captain of the flight is like welcoming everybody. And he goes, and and the captain of the flight's like, "Hello, welcome to the flight." And Aaron Judge goes, "Thanks, captain, captain, captain. I would mm. I would love to be captain mm. of the Yankees." Captain. Mm. Captain. And then oh, and then how how planted that guy, and then he uh-huh. did anyway. Okay. So, all right, now we've, we've had more fun with this than we need to. Captain. All right, Jake, no more. Aaron Judge, he's so good. Well, breaking news. Let's wrap uh, it up, Jordan. We were going to go through the spring training leaderboard. Yeah. But I actually would rather do that at the end of spring training. I mean, there okay. are some things That's to fine. talk about there with uh, Jared Kelenic. That's and, fine. And the yeah. like. Well, but- well, we should say we're, we're going to start previewing the season next week. Um, so that's a thing that's going to happen. Uh, we are, uh, we should say now that starting next week, we will be going three times a week. Oh baby. Monday and Thursday. We're not enough barbecast for you. Good news. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, starting next week. We're very excited to move to three times a week. Um, and yeah, this has been super fun. Season is coming. We'll have all kinds of WBC stuff to cover as well as actually, yes, start previewing the season. Because that season is almost here. So yes, we will wait for a few more stats to kind of come in with the with the spring training leaderboards. We'll get to all that. Again, I know you guys have sent some awesome emails. Hopefully we'll get to those at some point before opening day. But, but a lot of these we could do whenever. So keep those coming. Baseballbarbercast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Um, but otherwise, uh, we have some other stuff to do. So until next week. Thank you, Jake Mintz, for co-hosting. Thank you to Andrew Emmer for pinch hitting for uh, drunken, uh, hungover Australia fan Chris Tyler. Not accurate. He has other stuff going on. So thank you to Andrew Emmer for producing. Thank you for co-hosting. Any final words on this episode of Baseball Barbercast? I woke up at 4.58 a.m. to watch Shohei Otani, and I just ran out of energy. So I'm going to go to bed. All righty. Talk to you guys next week. Serious XM Podcasts.